From my home studio, welcome to Evolve, groundbreaking Jewish conversations. I am Jewish, not for the sake of being Jewish. I am Jewish because it teaches me how to be the best possible human being. And that's the human being I want to be, one whose heart is cracked open for all peoples, not just for Jews. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, joined here this month by Rabbi Jacob Staub, who is our executive producer and directs the Evolved podcast. Uh, Jacob, welcome, welcome back into the into the booth. It's it's good to good to have you in here on the air. Thanks, Brian. It's it's always good to be uh, involved this closely with the podcast. I am not only the executive producer, but I'm a great fan, and I'm really happy to be here. Okay, so we know last month we had a special episode in which Rabbi Deborah Waxman, who's the president and CEO of Reconstructing Judaism, interviewed our own Jacob about his life and career. And so this month we're turning the tables a little bit, and Jacob and I, I'm in the booth this time, are talking with Deborah about her seminal Evolve essay, Beyond Anti-Semitism. Right, and, um, but let us say clearly that Next month, she's not going to be interviewing me again. This is just a one-time show. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if you're consuming a lot of content, there's a ton of essays and podcasts about rising anti-Semitism. And Deborah brings a distinctly Reconstructionist perspective that you're not going to hear elsewhere. One that really calls upon a full understanding of the movement's evolution. And she lays out a positive call to action. Rather than give in to fear, Deborah argues we should focus on Jewish identity and community, coalition building, and link efforts to combat anti-Semitism with fighting racism, Islamophobia, and other forms of intolerance. So now this interview happened just days before a British national deluded with anti-Semitic fantasies of Jews controlling the world, posed as a man seeking refuge in Congregation Beth Israel in Colleyville, Texas, taking four people hostage and leading to an 11-hour standoff in which so many of us were glued to our phones, fearing it would end in, with the deaths of all involved. By all accounts, the actions of Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker, which have been well-documented, played a big role in, in preventing the very worst from, from occurring. That the hostages made it out alive doesn't take away from the impact this had, the chilling effect, further puncturing the feeling that houses of worship are safe. And it also reignited a discussion about how best to live the values of openness and inclusiveness, literally opening the door to someone of need with the very real need to mitigate security threats. And, and even, even the rabbi has said he would open the door to a stranger next time. Now, because all this happened after the interview, we, we don't talk about it, um, but we very much talk about the issues raised, particularly when it comes to the balance between security and, and openness. In the hours after the standoff was resolved, in, in the middle of the night um, after Shabbat, Deborah, along with Seth Rosen, the chair of our board of Reconstructing Judaism's board of directors, 
wrote a statement that was refined later with input from colleagues here at the organization, um, really responding to the events and articulating reconstructionist values. We've linked to the full statement in our show notes, and I encourage you to read it. I think it goes to the heart of Deborah's essay and the discussion here today. I'm going to read a short excerpt from the end, which is preceded by a series of of action steps that that are uh, powerful and and, and too numerous to, to read here, but here's how it ends. This past Shabbat, we read of the Israelites beginning their journey through the desert. In Deuteronomy 3019, at the very end of their long sojourn, we read that God says to the Israelites, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, Now choose life so that you and your children may live. We have long known that there are people who are willing to kill for what they believe, who are ready to kill us. It is even more clear that now is the time for us to fully embrace how we want to live for what we believe. May we stay safe. May we be strong and of good courage. May we find community and connection and live lives of meaning. May we work for safety and justice for all peoples. The leadership and staff of Reconstructing Judaism will do everything we can toward these ends. Okay, this is, this is me talking again, but I, I really do encourage you to read the statement um, on reconstructingjudaism.org and, and our show notes. Um, And the statement is signed by Rabbi Deborah Waxman and Seth Rosen. As a reminder, all of our essays can be found at evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org, including Deborah Waxman's essay, Beyond Antisemitism. Reading the essay will give you a richer listening experience, and you'll find a treasure of groundbreaking essays on race, environmental justice, Israel-Palestine, Jewish community, and more. Okay. Now it's time to introduce a guest that needs little introduction. Rabbi Deborah Waxman, president and CEO of Reconstructing Judaism. In addition to being a rabbi, Deborah holds a doctorate in American Jewish history from Temple University and has uh, studied intensely the early years of the Reconstructionist movement. Deborah is also the founder, creator, co-host, host of Hashi Venu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience, which is, a, which is another podcast you can find wherever podcasts are downloaded and which is being co-hosted this season with Rabbi Sandra Lawson. There is so much more I could say, but for now, we're going to link to a full bio in our show notes and just introduce Rabbi Deborah Waxman. Welcome, welcome to the show. Great to, great to have you back on Evolve. I'm so happy to be here. I am a big fan of Evolve. I'm a big fan of both of you. So it's a pleasure. And, and feeling feeling is mutual, and and um, I'm I'm like starting this off. We're in a good mood. We had we had a, a nice pre pre show chat, but but obviously we're we're here because we're we're living through some some really frightening times. Lots of lots of scary things going on, and as you write, that's that's a big time recipe for 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 anti semitism. So. It's it's very detailed, and I don't, I don't know if I could I don't think I could essentialize your your argument, but I think one of the points is that if we if we if we lean into 
our 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 spiritual health into the the health of our communities and and Jewish and Jewish identity and we we build effective coalitions we're we're going to be we're going to be okay and 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 you're obviously you're not a pollyannish person or thinker and and you know that doesn't mean that bad sentiments won't still exist and 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 bad actors will 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 still try to harm us so or won't try to harm us so i guess can you explain a little bit more about how that how that works in your mind and and do you see like really focused on on security as 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 somebody else's project or is it like we we lean into this stuff and we make sure we're protecting ourselves in a way that's in accordance with our with our values yeah it's a really good question a couple of things I think one is like, you know, what do you stand for versus what do you stand against? Um, and I think the most generative approach always is to articulate what you stand for and to lean into that and to build it up. So my Jewish identity is content filled and my Jewish identity is relationship centered. And, um, and that is like re- relationship with the, with you on the screen and with others who I have the opportunity to interact with. And that's relationship with my ancestors and all the wisdom that they passed down and God willing with future generations. So I just think that that's, that's, there might come a time and that time might be soon where it's gonna be, all of my energy is gonna be about fighting against. But I think as the, president and CEO of Reconstructing Judaism, which is a 501c3 that has a staff of X number of people and a budget of this, that the best possible energies that we can do, that, that, we, that we can expand, the best possible way that we can um, prioritize our work is through that generative work. That there are others who are doing the security work. Some of them, they do it exactly the way I'd want to do it. Some of them, they do it in ways I would never want to do it. But, but that it's, it's not that I think that there's no role for the defense work. Um, it's just that I, I, like, there, there's always the question of defense of what? I'll tell you that the story that this, you know, another, another moment that's very, very clear in my identity, in, in my, another moment that's very, very clear in my memory is reading the Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, and I was, I was trying, I don't remember, I, I, possibly read it on my own. I was a big reader. I've always been a big reader. I don't remember ever discussing it in school. And I remember either she, I don't remember if she talks about it in the diary or I remember in the diary, she talks about different Jewish things that they do. And at some point early on, I learned that they had, they were very, the Frank family was very assimilated and they had very little Jewish content. It was only after there started to be enforced restrictions and and that she and her sister were pulled out of secular schools and sent to Jewish schools that they started to learn about Jewish content and that they found meaning in that content. And that was just so arresting to me, I guess, is the word. I mean, I grew up in a very Jewishly oriented home, religiously, culturally, at the core of my identity. So I I was compelled by the value and that, that Anne and her family, they would only find that value because they were coerced into it. That was, that was um, fascinating to me. And that was deeply painful to me. Um, so I've been... Um, 
I've been in the booster project probably ever since then. You know that that probably has something to do with the fact that I'm uh, that I'm a rabbi. You know that I'm a rabbi, and I I want to fill up and you know help help people fill themselves up so that if they have to be fighting against, they know they know for themselves on their own terms what they are fighting for. In terms of that, like like the security work and the openness, it's it's really challenging. Like you know, you, you go to a lot of reconstructionist communities, especially ones that have had the privilege and tremendous responsibility of building their own buildings, and they are very open buildings, right. um, and they are very welcoming buildings, and and a lot of them have a lot of glass in a lot of places. That's a values choice. That's a values choice translated into architecture. And what does that mean for this moment in time? Uh, I guess it was after Tree of Life, after the Tree of Life shooting, which obviously hit very close to home. The Reconstructionist community, Dor Hadash was one of the three communities dominating on that campus. Shortly after that, I went to visit one of our newer affiliates. Uh, I won't name the community that much, but I was, I was, I was visiting, and it's a, one of those beautiful buildings exactly the way I described it. And one of the members came to me and said, I don't feel safe here. I think all of these windows needs to, need to be barricaded up. And, um, and it was really clear that that was a minority opinion. And the person said, I've been lobbying and lobbying and lobbying and I'm not getting anywhere. And they had made a whole bunch of adjustments, including the fact that there was someone sitting at the, at, at the front desk that didn't usually sit there. And a couple of months later, I was at a um, convening this is one of the privileges of, of, of uh, representing the Reconstructionist Movement. And this is one of the benefits, I think, of, of individuals and, and communities being part of the Reconstructionist Movement. I was at a convening that was organized by the Secure Communities Network, which is an agency that is funded both by the Jewish Federations of North America and by the Department of Homeland Security to look out for security for the entirety of the Jewish community. And I, I was at what they call a tabletop exercise where they had a whole bunch of Jewish communal leaders in, in a lot of different roles, imagine really a worst case scenario, um, tree of life and beyond, multiple, multiple sites, just te terrible, terrible. And I had a conversation with Michael Masters who's the director of the Secure Communities Network afterwards. And I told him this conversation and this dilemma. And he said, oh yes, I, I had a similar conversation with members of the Reconstructionist community in another city. And he said they had a similar um, kind of architectural sensibility, although they were saying they didn't want to barricade. And he said, you know, the goal is not to end up where the Jewish community in, in much of Europe is like, which is where the, the, the synagogues are really barricaded. Frequently the address is not publicized. Often there are armed guards, even with submachine guns at the front and you have to call and make a reservation. But that is not the American environment that any of us want to live in. What is the best possible balance between basic safety and living out our values. And it was so heartening to me that some, and, 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 and he would say, including making certain that Jews of color are not profiled, but are welcomed. You know, he, like I was very, very heartened to hear the level of sophistication and complexity that he was bringing to this analysis. That's so, good to hear. Yeah, it's very, it was, it was, it was very, and I'm, I'm happy to broadcast it out. And I think he would be happy to have me share that. Um, you know, it, it is about, it is about, maintaining that optimism without going into Pollyanna-ish. It is about 
trying to find the best possible balance and then revisiting it and revisiting it and revisiting it as the circumstances change. I think we might all agree that we Jews collectively are traumatized. Um, and uh, I don't know whether everyone would agree that we reinforce that by telling the traumatic stories over and over again. Um, and I mean, I certainly remember growing up very much with a, in an Orthodox environment where, where the Holocaust was not only the Holocaust, but the fledgling state of Israel that was under attack, um, that we were um, under attack. We have always been under attack. We, you know, the whole door of our door in every generation, um, uh, they seek to destroy us. And I, I want to explore a little bit more about the, um, in detail about what the view of the recurrence the Eric Ward analysis that anti-Semitism recurs in times of, um, let's call it instability, right? In times of, uh, in terms of times of anxiety. Um, and um, I think I wanna take that as a reassuring analysis, not that it's inevitable, but that it's cyclical. Um, because when I, I grew up, actually, I'll credit Mordechai Lieblich, I was in my 30s, I think, and I was saying still that um, I, I, I don't know when the bottom is going to drop out for American Jews, but it always does, and I'm afraid of that. And, and Mordechai Liebling said, um, Jacob, don't worry, first... Um, African Americans and and Latinos will go. You'll know when it's when you won't be the first. You're not on the barricade, so you can feel slightly safe. Um, and that actually, at that moment, was somewhat reassuring to me that I wasn't on the front line. I um, think that's but, because in Europe, re religion was the primary measure of difference, and we were the other. And here in America. It's, it's, it's much more often than race. And so yeah. folks with black and brown skin are much more demonized. Right, right, right. So uh, all that points to, um, Brian mentioned the word coalition building, um, the, for the necessity of uh, working with many other groups and building um, an anti-white supremacy coalition that, that is effective. Uh, so. Do you want to reflect on any of what I just said about cyclical and about coalitions? And... Yeah, it's so, it's, it's a hard reality to face, um, but it is, it is, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I am really drawn to exploring resilience in relationship to Judaism. I think that that was a critical breakthrough for me personally, immediately after the 2016 election, uh, that there, there, there were a lot of changes for me after that election. And one of them, this is not so much cyclical as much as just recognizing the truth that many, many, many Jews had faced terrifying social 
and personal challenges, and they had survived. They had this, the community had survived. The civilization had survived. Some of the people had survived, you know, and 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 not only survived but also found ways to be creative and ultimately to thrive again. And that tapping into that uh, would the, that wisdom and those practices would only serve me and and I suspected others well and and unleashing it uh, as a resource. So I think that just that that recognition that I I was born in 1967. I was born kind of at the height of the post-war liberal consensus and I definitely grew up thinking that we were on a trajectory toward ever greater justice and ever greater inclusion and so part of the last 15 years has been watching that crack and my setting that analysis aside you know no longer patching those cracks but trying to discern which analytical framework and what practical steps I could take to move us again toward justice and inclusion and fullness of humanity. And that's where I, so again, I go to like, there's, there's so much wisdom within Jewish tradition. Like that's the resilience piece. That's the, um, it's, a, you know, it's available to each and every person on their own terms. That's the bolstering piece. That's the place where I know like there's just so much to draw from. We don't have to start from scratch. We can, you know, we, we can, we can turn and it doesn't have to be, that doesn't mean we have to retreat into orthodoxy. We can, we can reconstruct it to meet our own individual um, requirements, our own individual aspirations. Ideally, we do that in a communal conversation rather than just on our own. Um, and that, and that again, that it's not simply for this moment of interconnection, it is not simply for my own benefit, it is not simply for our own benefit, that it has to be about for the benefit of as many peoples as possible. Um, and I think the climate crisis just reinforces this point more and more clearly how interconnected we all are. So the, the coalition building is a tactic that emerges out of this analysis and that is in the service of this vision. Uh, that, that, and I think it's one that between the pandemic and the climate crisis, like it's like the, the uh, natural world is banging us over the head again and again and again to learn this lesson that mirrors the ancient wisdom of our ancestors, I think. This is like the longer we talk, obviously the less time we have and the more the more questions we have. It's like, I, I feel... Uh... It's it's so weighty, but I feel like an hourglass <laughs> turned over. Um, I mean, when I when I was a reporter, I had a much something of a passport into Jewish different ends of the Jewish spectrum that I don't that I don't totally have that I don't completely have now. But but the American Jewish community has certainly become part of of this tribalism into into camps that we've we've seen in. American Jewish society as as a whole. It's not American it's Jewish not, society or American society. I'm sorry, American society. I mean, American society is really split. You know, however you want to call it, Republican, Democrat, Trump, anti-Trump. It's 
I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. And, and while it's not 50, 50, American Jewry has sort of been, been, been caught up in that as well. And, and I've seen a lot of debate and a lot of hand wringing over the debate over what is, what is the true cause of anti-Semitism or what is the more worrisome cause? Like we hear all about anti-Semitism on the right, which has clearly led to real loss of life. So just clear and present danger, no question about it. And then, you know, we, we hear about anti-Semitism on, on the left, which can be harder to define, but it, 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 you know, it has resulted in, in, in people not, not feeling welcome or being kicked out of certain spaces either, you know, often because of sort of having just even a bare identification, you know, with bare minimum identification with Israel and, and, you know, lack of political representation could one day lead to, you know, something like, something like loss of life, but, but, but it's not, not the same clear and present danger. And, and just, I've seen that where, where folks fall in that argument can sometimes just be an indication of where, where they are in that divide. And, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm wondering, is this kind of a pointless debate? Is there any generativity in it in terms of, in terms of just understanding and truth? Um, like how, how have you, responded when when that's that question has has come up because it it it, it seems to it seems to reiterate and it, certainly certainly since 2016 yeah i think you're right i think i think a couple of things um i mean i think too often it's the analysis of like oh it's from the right or it's from the left is a cudgel that the, that someone uses just to uh, make a larger set of points that align to a larger political analysis um, that, that you, as, as you just suggested. Um, I think, look, I think everything about a reconstructionist approach, including this essay is about complexity and nuance. And that is not popular at this moment in time uh, for any number of reasons, all the dislocation, all the fear and anxiety and the rise of of social media and, 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 and media platforms that, that work against complexity and nuance, even as, it, even as they also could open up into that, but, but that's not how they've unfolded. Um, so I don't think it's, I, I think it's an important argument when it comes down to tactics. And I think that it is always interesting to me that the tactics when they are really about combating anti-Semitism or when they are really about of that larger social agenda. I, I just, I don't find it the most constructive discussion, but then again, you know, like the whole point of my essay is like the best response to anti-Semitism is to focus in on building affirmative Jewish identity, which is taking the focus away from anti-Semitism. So even as I think I'm capable of mounting a very sophisticated analysis, that is not where I want to put my energies into. And again and again, I'd, I, I would prefer not to be defensive, whether it's a defense organization defending the Jewish community, like the Anti-Defamation League, which is not attacking the Anti-Defamation League, but that's just, I don't work there, I work here. And that's, a, that's that, that's the, this is the right place for me. 
Um, and, and I just don't want to be on the defense about why I work here. I want to, I want more than anything. I want to just say, judge the work that we are doing by what it is that we accomplish, not, you know, not by what you think it is. Okay. If you're enjoying this interview, please hit the subscribe button and be among the first to know when the new episode appears. And you want to go one step to the side or one step further, take a minute and give us a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Positive ratings and reviews really help other people find out about this. And if you're a new listener, welcome. Check out our back catalog for lots of other groundbreaking conversations. Okay, now back to our interview with Rabbi Deborah Waxman. So, um, to bring us back to anti-Semitism for a moment. I was reading, I'm reading uh, Cast, uh, Isabel Wilkerson uh, right now. And I think this morning I read the chapter in which she lines up in detail, um, lynching and torture, et cetera, of you know, African-Americans with treatment of Jews in, in Germany and in Europe. And it struck me that that um, that chosenness, which Jewish exceptionalism, um, does not only apply to God told God favors us and um, we have the best way to live, but also uh, extends to we have the most suffering. We um, and. You know, I don't know, the, the debates have gone on for a long time about whether the Holocaust is unique or not. But what that masks is an absolute inability to look seriously and closely at the suffering of non-Jews, of other groups. And there's something very precious for Jews about holding on to our unique st status as sufferers. And therefore there's something I think central to our post-traumatic traumatic self-understanding of us as forever persecuted, forever pogromed or, or exterminated. Um, it's uh, even, even when People like me, like us, I don't know why, could you, even when we reject anti-Semitism as an organizing principle, I still had not really, I mean, I remember at some point in the last couple of years, someone said, explain to me how the suffering of um, African um, slaves in the US was, you know, took was involved so many people and so many suffering and so much uh, death, um, and went on so long that it was more devastating than the Shoah than the Holocaust. And I, I just had never heard that before, and it was hard. I mean, I had to admit it when I looked at it closely. But it, it, it really, it was a little shake, it shook my 
sense of self a little bit and really, I guess, opened my heart a little bit more. So um, I'm wondering about coalition, extending ourselves to other people, not only in joining arms and working for um, justice for all, but also in terms of expanding our humanity. I think sense of humanity has to be an extent of who is dying of starvation today and who, you know, um, just again, it's what I was thinking this morning. I, I, I think that's the point I'm trying to make when I talk about the interconnection of our humanity and, and yeah. including, you know, I, I think absolutely. Um, I love how you're framing it in terms of empathy and expanding empathy and identification even that, you know, your pain is my pain and my pain is your pain. I think that, um, there's absolutely nothing to be gained by a competition around trauma and around suffering. I think that, I think that's, that's, and, and you know, your point about how identified Jews are around our suffering is, you know, we can take up a lot of space about, around it. And we can, you know, we can say, I mean, this is, this is a huge dilemma. This is, this is, I think, one of the reasons why I say that white, you know, combating white supremacy and dismantling structural racism is an essential part of the battle against anti-Semitism. Because, like, you know, we say, "Oh no, there's a swastika on a synagogue in X number of cities." You can, you can, and there's a there are too many cities to name. You know, there there are too many cities than more, more than we would be comfortable with, and that is terrible. Let me just make it clear that that is terrible. And that is something distinct from the legacy of chattel slavery that includes mass incarceration of, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of, of black men that includes, you know, police brutality and regular shootings of black people like that. That is that, too, is horrible. Again, I don't want it. There's no competition, but the kind of the kind the outrage and the fear we that, like if we are truly able to tap into our empathy, we can feel it when other groups are targeted as well. I think, and that um, you know, I often say, and probably Jacob, you were one of the people who helped me come up with this formulation. Like, I am Jewish not for the sake of being Jewish. I am Jewish because it teaches me how to be the best possible human being. And that's the human being I want to be, one whose heart is cracked open for all peoples, not just for Jews. But if it were easy, everybody would be doing it, right? I think like part of Jake, Jacob talked before about us being a traumatized people, unlike any or any, any traumatized, you're, you, you know, there are, there are triggers. Like I remember the first time I read Tony Morrison's gorgeous book, Be Beloved, about you know taking us back to that period, and and the 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 dedication says for for the sixty million, and and my first thought was, well, is that is that a dig? Is that comparing, you know, direct comparison of the middle the middle passage to the Holocaust? And I I just my immediate reaction was defensiveness and even anger, and like it, I couldn't you know. 
I couldn't immediately open up to this world that was that was being presented to me. And that's, you know, I think that maybe is a challenge all, you know, of of intergroup relations is somehow getting, you know, getting past those things to hear the other. Sure. I mean, that's part of the thing. Yes, of course, we're all triggered by both individual and cultural inheritances, you know, individual experiences and cultural inheritances. Um, and we, we have the capacity to learn strategies to manage our triggers and we have the capacity and, and God willing, most of the time we are able to be, we were able to act out of our most expansive places rather than out of our most wounded places. And that, so that means that there, like we have to do whatever the work is that we have to do to help us live more in that space than in, 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 in the more wounded space. And, and I say that also like with recognition that from wounds come great wisdom. Um, sometimes, sometimes just it comes damage. Uh, but I think that this goes back again to what I think a reconstructionist approach is about. And it maps onto, I'm trying to think like there are probably other schools of thought that have informed this um, as much as a reconstructionist take on Judaism that we at once, I, I think I can probably frame it just Jewishly. Like we have at once great power and also very, very little power. And with the with that great power that we do have, you know, the the, the teaching that, you know, in one pocket, I am but dust and ashes, and in the other pocket, for, for me, the world was made. You know, and the place where, for me, the world was made, we ideally call upon every single resource to help us be the best possible, most healed, most constructive person we can be, and to deploy that in the service of building that most just and equitable world. I really, <laughs> I really want to lighten lighten the tone, but I just I, I just can't seem to to do it. I mean, we we talk this about is a hard one. We're having a discussion yeah. about anti-Semitism. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're doing about as best we can. Okay, thank you. Isn't this, isn't this <laughs> the point where you say, "Well, that seems like a wonderful place to wrap this up." Right. So much. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Um, I do. Like talking about not knowing how things are are going to end, I'm, I'm I'm I'm, you know, I don't know how how confident I can be or or any of us can be that that sort of American democracy as we know it is is gonna is gonna withstand the next three to five years. And and I know you've how much you've written about about um, about the the absolute paramount role democracy plays in, in Kaplan's thought and reconstructionism. And you actually talk about, um, I mean, you talk, one, one of the action steps in, in your essay is, is build democratic structures, invest in democracy. So I, I guess I'm, I'm like, what, what steps, um, you know, what steps can we, what steps can are we take as, as certainly as, you know, as reconstructionist communities, as 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 Jews, as concerned humans, to to make sure this this holds, because I feel like a lot a lot of our generativity will will be you know will be for naught if we if we lose it. If if I can um, 
please Stephanie, help me before out before you answer that question <laughs> what steps can we take um i find it helpful when, when talking about the democracy is endangered i i it's possible that the 2024 election will be um rigged and that people will not be able to vote and that that will have negative consequences and there will be increasing restrictions on voting and and who knows but i don't think that democracy is something that you you um put a pin in and it collapses you know there are um talk about resilience you know it might things might get tough i don't think the aspiration will disappear that people will continue to want to um well, to strive for democratic norms and uh, let me leave it there so now deborah <laughs> i mean i think Jacob, what, should, what should we do <laughs> okay what should we do i mean I, I think you're right that it's um that democracy is it's a it's a system of government it's a way of interacting it's it's a um there's democracy with a small b in a very local level versus how the systems of government are organized and it's not it's not all or nothing i do think that this is an incredibly critical period i do think that robustly transparent and equitable democratic systems foster and work toward the vision that i'm talking about for everyone and for Jews, um, and that this moment in time, the next couple of years, if you are at all politically oriented, I would urge you to work toward free and fair elections, work toward voter rights. Um, I think it's especially important at the local and state level, uh, as well as at the national level, and we often have an outsized impact on the local level. So for sure, there are likely grassroots efforts near you that you might wanna get involved um, in and, 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 and toward this end, voter registration drives. Uh, this is all nonpartisan activities, I think, but uh, I think it's toward, um, toward an end that is about uh, the most you know, robust vision of pluralism and democracy uh, that I, I hope to God is not a partisan vision. Um, it is as often painted as a partisan vision. So I think, frankly, one of the things that I would say is like, if you're really, really anxious about the next couple of years, like try to find some really constructive way of channel it, channeling it. And one of, the, one of the suggestions that I just made or others, there, there are other local solutions, there are other national solutions that, that might resonate even more deeply with you. But I do think that one of the ways to manage anxiety is to, to, to try to, to translate it into action rather than to just have it, it feeds on itself if you're just sitting at home, you know, perseverating and ruminating on it. Um, and if things go um, poorly in the next national elections, it is possible that we will be either more on the defense or we will be more on the barricades. This is my analysis for this particular moment. And I don't presume, like I think that's one of the things that the last decade has taught me is don't, don't, don't presume that analysis that, that works at this moment will work at a, at a radically different moment. And I also think, you know, Jacob, you were talking about how Kaplan 
embraced a kind of optimism in the 30s as there were all kinds of really um, anti-democratic and anti-Semitic actions going on. And Kaplan was very, very, um, ex he was a leader and he was expressive of a particular kind of social democratic voice at that moment of time, you know, in, in a Jewish key. Um, and that really was called into question after, after World War II. Um, Kaplan's star started to sink a little bit after the Holocaust and after the nuclear bombs were dropped on Japan because people, uh, theologians and philosophers took a turn toward the tragic and said, you know, look at, look at, this is, look at how enlightenment thought gets played out in the excesses of Nazi Germany and how scientific thinking gets played out in the destruction, the mass destruction of humanity. We have to set aside the idea that we can co-create with the divine and we have to yield to a much greater transcendent power. And, and Kaplan never gave up on that kind of, um, the kind of empowered optimism, if things go more dark, it is my hope that our commitment to democratic practices, our commitment to human empowerment in collaboration with the divine, however it is that we describe or define the, the divine ourselves, that our commitment to this interconnected vision of humanity will be a beacon for people. You know, that, 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 that our, our orientation I think is important now and I, I, I you know, could, could possibly even become more important. Quick timeout. If you would like to support the groundbreaking conversations of Evolve on this podcast, on the Evolve website, in our online conversations, you can engage in philanthropy and support us. Every gift matters. There is a donate link right in our show notes. Thanks for listening and thanks for being part of the conversation. Okay, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. This, I don't know if both of you want to weigh in. We, we've spent the last, um, a, a lot of this time, um, despite, despite your efforts towards generativity, it might be my, the way I'm phrasing the questions, we're talking a lot about the things where we're afraid of. And I know on that front, I could, I could go on for about 10 more hours, but I'm wondering like standing, like standing on one foot, what are, you know, what are, you know, even as we're, we're, we're at the anniversary of, 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 we just passed the anniversary of January 6th and COVID numbers and whatever else, what, what are, what are, what are the things you're, you're, you're most excited about right now? That's a great question, Brian. Cause I do feel like, you know, the enactment of what I argue in the ess this essay would mean that the entire episode should be about all of the creative things that we're doing rather than this, the, this exploration of this analysis. What am I most excited about? I am so excited and I am cautiously hopeful that we will have a reconstructionist movement convention that is open to people who are identified as reconstructionists and others who are just interested and excited by our approach March 23rd to 27th, 2022 in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Um, it's a hybrid convention. I really hope that the numbers work out and that the public health recommendations work out that we will be able to be together um, as well as a really rich streaming program. And I'm just, 
I know what happens when hundreds of reconstructionists come together and share ideas and learn from each other and sing together safely with masks on, however our health advisory committee advises us to do it and pray and, um, and, and create together. So I'm so excited about that. The program is spectacular um, and registration is, is going well. Um, and, and, and I think we can do it safely. And I think we will luxuriate in being together um, after, you know, that'll be shortly after the second anniversary of the onset of, of, the, pan, of the restrictions in, the, in, in North America. I am incredibly excited about Ritual Well uh, and the um, reach and breadth that it has. Ritual Well just celebrated its 20th anniversary and it, its origins, I reflected on this at, at, a little, at a lovely event that we did. Its origins were in a file cabinet of feminist rituals in, in, the, in the 80s and the early 90s. And now Ritual Well is this incredible co-created web resource for ritual and for poems and for reflections on how we structure our lives. Um, we who are spiritually and communally oriented and Ritual Well is capturing voices and creating opportunities for learning online and looking how to build community online and thinking about how what that means for people who are to come together on land as well. So that's just endlessly interesting to me. I am so energized by our rabbinical students. Um, we have 50 students who come together hybrid, some of them in person, some of them online. They are passionate and visionary and ethical and creative and they see the world that we are living in and their hearts are cracked open with pain and they want to, and also with joy, and they wanna take up all the tools that they already bring and all the tools that they're learning to build, to build the future that hopefully we will all live into. And that is endlessly um, inspiring by me. That's endlessly inspiring to me. And frankly, I, am, I get so much energy from the folks I work with um, professionally and volunteers that it's my great privilege to, um, to, to work with a team of people at Reconstructing Judaism, including, including you, including Sam, who is our editor, who every day, every hour are, are doing this generative work. This, the Board of Governors is unbelievable in their commitment um, and in their, uh, excitement about the work that we're doing. It's looked very different during COVID, but I continue to travel out to reconstructionist communities and hear about, you know, their pain and their fatigue and also the ways that they've come through for each other and mutually supported each other and the ways that they've innovated and things that they want to carry forward um, and things that they are learning. And so I just, I, what I see and what I'm moved by are people living their lives and, you know, both immersed in their own, their own journeys and at, at all times looking up and, and, and so how, how can I, how can, how can I do better? How can I connect more? How can I grow? I, I, just, I see that again and again 
and it nourishes me and it excites me. Well, I think, well, I know we're, I know we're about out of, uh, out of time. So, um, can I say, so can I say you. one more thing about what I just said? I know I just did a movement bug. It's my job. I mean, I'm the CEO <laughs> of the Reconstructionist, Reconstructing Judaism, the central organization of the Reconstructionist movement, but it's more than just a line. I mean, that's why I am the CEO is because I, I'm really totally genuine in everything I said that, that you know, that, that I, even at this, this, this weird two years that we've lived in, it, it's also expressive of like a time of, of atomization and isolation. And I don't think that's how humans are meant to live. I think that's true generally, and I think that's true Jewishly. And I really do find that connecting with and joining in with others really does give me cause for optimism. Whatever, people disappoint me all the time, but again, but, but they surprise me and they move me far more. So please hear that as not, not just me shilling for the Reconstructionist movement, but me really also expressing my, my, my deepest beliefs. Well, we know you, you, you have a challenging, demanding job, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it must be made easier and inspiring by, by the fact that, that you, know, you believe in what you're doing whole, wholeheartedly. And we can, and, and I think uh, that's, 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 that's true for, for my colleagues as well. So it's an it's a exciting and a generative place to be around, even if we're not actually there, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're together uh, in spirit. Um, thank you so much. It was um, really great to have a chance to ex expound upon, expand upon um, this really um, important piece you, you, you've put in together, articulating a, a lot of, uh, of, um, of where, where the reconstructionist perspective is right now. And uh, Thanks. Uh, thanks for. We, we always love when 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 you when you stop by this podcast and and uh, and and we love what you're what uh, what's coming out of Hashivenu this this season and and seasons past. It's a, it's such a blessing to be with both of you. Thank you so much. And let me add my thanks uh, for just an incredibly uh, illuminating and wonderful essay and. Uh, and for this conversation, which which raises it up even further. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to our conversation with Rabbi Deborah Waxman. And also thanks to Rabbi Jacob Staub for joining this month. So what did you think of today's episode? Evolve is about curating meaningful conversation. And that's that's you. That includes you. Send me your questions, comments, feedback, criticism, whatever you got. You can reach me at bschwartzman at reconstructingjudaism.org. That is my real email address. So you may even get a response from me. You will get a response from me if you write. We'll be back next month with a brand new episode. Evolve, Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations is executive produced by Rabbi Jacob Staub and edited by Sam Walks. Our theme song, Ilufinu, is by Rabbi Miriam Margols. This show is a production of Reconstructing Judaism. I am your host, Brian Schwartzman, and we will see you next time.